Ezekiel. You'll find Ezekiel in the Old Testament after Jeremiah. We'll be reading from Ezekiel, verse, chapter 34, verses 1 through 5, and then I'll skip down to uh, verses this 34, 1 through 5, and then 10 through 16. Hear the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. And now verse 10. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding of the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when it is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they've been scattered on the day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries, and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak and the fat, and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice." Since the reading of the Old Testament, now we turn to our New Testament lesson from the Gospel of Matthew. Continuing our working through the Gospel of Matthew, we'll be starting with verse 36 of chapter 9. Matthew 9, 36, reading down to 10, 15. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. 
These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. In whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. It sends the reading of God's holy word. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. Let us pray to our Lord. Ask his help as we open it. O Lord, our Father in heaven, the word of God comes from you and now speak to us through it. May your spirit uh, speak to our hearts. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, this passage is developing out of chapters 8 and 9 of Matthew, which we have uh, been working with and now are concluding chapter 9 and moving into chapter 10, obviously. Uh, and this is a development that isn't just one thing after another. This is uh, a development which is a natural development uh, and is uh, planned by Jesus. Jesus has been working for this point uh, so far in chapters 8 and 9. And here he is uh, reaching that point where he now initiates something new. Now, he had uh, talked, and, and you, you know, you heard it, <laughs> all this stuff about the shepherds of Israel uh, from uh, Ezekiel and from the First uh, Peter. Uh, he'd been talking about uh, the fact that the sheep are without a shepherd, verse 36, and we read the Ezekiel passage on purpose because you'll notice that the Lord says, and I will shepherd my people, I will come. Well, here he is. Here's the Son of God in the flesh come as shepherd of the people of God. He observes them. And notice what it says here in uh, chapter 9, verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. He's a compassionate shepherd of his people. This is not accidental that Matthew put this in here. He, he's showing us the character of the shepherd who isn't out to fleece his people. Now, the thing, of, the thing that's so striking here is that the shepherds of Israel are around. We've actually encountered some of them in this chapters 8 and 9 so far. The scribes and the Pharisees. We've already encountered them. And notice the last word about the Pharisees. This is chapter 9, verse 34. But the Pharisees said, he casts out demons by the prince of demons. This is just wicked. There's no other way to describe that. It is just a wicked statement. 
there's no basis in fact. This is obviously false, and it is simply animosity to the shepherd of Israel that they would say this of him. This is, this is just a wicked thing to say. And these are the shepherds of Israel. In uh, chapter 23, verse 2, Jesus says, The scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. You should listen to them, just don't do what they do because they are hypocrites. And then he goes into a pronouncement of woe upon them. But he says they sit on Moses' seat. They are the people who are... Uh, whom God has given to be leaders and shepherds of the people of Israel. And that's what they're saying. This is the kind of people we're dealing with. Uh, and in Ezekiel, you find that this is not new. And Jesus will have words with these shepherds. He came as shepherd of the people of God. He's a chief shepherd. He came to save his people from their sins. We've talked about that several times in our series in Matthew Going back to Matthew chapter 1, his name means God saves. He came to save his people from their sins. But he also came to save them from their wolves, the wolves who would uh, bite and devour the people of God. Notice how uh, Matthew describes uh, Jesus viewing the people of God here in verse 36. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. The Another translation has distressed and dispirited. I think that's a good translation. This is a New American Standard. They were distressed and dispirited. The people of God here are dealing with demoniacs, demons in their midst, and that means sorcery. That's the only way you can have people be uh, inhabited by demons is through sorcery and witchcraft. And this is going on in Israel. You have these people who are lovers of money. Uh, we read that in uh, the Gospel of Luke about the Pharisees. They were lovers of money. Uh, and they're self-righteous, people who think their own public uh, projection of holiness is real holiness, when in fact it isn't. Uh, because they are, it's a play act. It is something that they're projecting even though in their heart of hearts they're not holy. They don't love the Lord with heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so Jesus has compassion upon the people of Israel. He sees that they're scattered, uh, and he, has, he sees that they're helpless and need help, and he's the great shepherd of the sheep. Brothers and sisters, it's one thing, as we read in the, gospel, in the letter of James, it's one thing to say, well, go be warmed and be filled. It would be one thing for Jesus to do that, to say, well, I, I, I hope the best for you. But I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving and I'm just one guy, I can't do everything. So I, I hope the best for you. Be warmed and be filled. Uh, and then not do anything. So he does something. He's not like that. He does something here, and that's what follows, you see. He says, first of all, pray to the Lord of the harvest. Pray, because the harvest is plentiful. These people are like sheep, and then he switches the metaphor to the harvest. And I'm not really sure who Lord of the harvest is here. <laughs> 
Because later in Matthew, Jesus says, I will send out my angels on the last day and they will gather my elect in as the great harvest. So the Lord of the harvest might be standing in their midst. He certainly is the great shepherd of the sheep. Uh, but it's also the Father. You, you don't drive, want to drive a wedge between uh, the Son of God incarnate and the Father. You know, God the Father claims you as his own. He has sent his Son to be the great shepherd. And he, is, he will bring the harvest through his almighty power. So that's the first thing. He, he instructs them to pray to the Lord of the harvest. And brothers and sisters, it's a good time for me to pause and tell you, you should be praying this as well. You should be praying that as long as this age survives before the coming of our Lord, it's a good time to pray that the Lord will send out workers in the harvest to bring in the lost people who are, surround us. They so obviously are hopeless and scattered, and the Lord has many people in this city whom he will gather together, even into this place, and other churches of like faith as ours. We don't pray for our congregation selfishly. We pray that the Lord will be glorified and his people gathered where the word of God uh, is the, the uh, standard of ministry in the church. So we pray to the Lord of the harvest. But then he does something else. He, he, it's not just pray, he sends out the twelve. So he does something concrete. He sends out the twelve. And you see, this is a preview of our age right now. Jesus is giving a preview of what's going to happen after he ascends to the Father. And if you want to know what the Gospel of Matthew is all about, you read the last chapter. You just go right to the end and it summarizes the whole Gospel chapter. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go, make disciples among all the nations, baptizing them, etc. That's, that's really the summary of what's happening in Matthew. And, and he sends the twelve now as a preview of that Matthew 28 sending to all the earth to bring in the Gentiles as well. Right here, uh, he doesn't start the Gentile mission yet. So notice what it says. This is chapter 10, verse 1. He called his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast out, to heal every disease and every affliction. There's actually four things here. First of all, notice that our Lord Jesus Christ gives authority. He doesn't pray to his Father for authority for them. He has the authority already to, to do these things. We've seen that. Because, you know, these things that he's, he grants them this authority to do these things, it's exactly the things he's been doing in Matthew chapters 8 and 9. Exactly the same thing. And so he gives them that authority to do the same things he's been doing uh, among the people of God. Exercise demons, heal diseases. This is like the fever that uh, afflicted the mother-in-law of Peter. Uh, heal afflictions. This is like the paralysis or the woman who had the 12 years uh, of uh, blood flow. And then to raise the dead. This is verse 8. He doesn't say that in, ch in chapter 10, verse 1. But in chapter 10, verse 8, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. That should all be familiar to us if we just read Matthews 8 and 9. 
Matthew 8 and 9, which is, you know, in the normal course of thing, we will have just been reading that. But this is the same thing he's done. Look at verse chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And this, this is what he now gives authority to the disciples. And by the way, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Look at 10, verse 7. And proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So it, it's a comprehensive agenda to do the same thing same things that Jesus has done. This is what the shepherds of Israel, are. these 12 are appointed to do as vice shepherds, people who are given this authority to begin the apostolic age, the age we live in, to uh, bring in the people of God and so they're no longer scattered. Proclaim to them the nearness of the kingdom of God and bring healing and comfort to them in the midst of the afflictions of this life. For they were, they were tossed around and afflicted and scattered. It's interesting if you um, think about things from their perspective. And there's two perspectives here I want you to think about. One is the perspective of the 12. These 12 had enlisted to follow Jesus and become his disciples and time and again in the Gospels, it's clear they don't know what he's up to. <laughs> so they're his closest disciples, and he's doing stuff, and they're looking around going, who is this who can calm the wind and the waves and the storm and the sea? And What's he up to? What's he doing? You know, We should be marching on Jerusalem to take over the place. We're, we really enlisted to uh, become rulers. Remember, uh, the mother of, of uh, two of these guys came up to Jesus, probably at the two guys' insistence, came up to Jesus, grant when you enter into your kingdom, in Jerusalem it's understood, that my sons will sit on your left and the right. I mean, this is what we want. We want real power. We want to sit in the place of authority. We want to start ruling things. Uh, and we're going to take over the world. This is what we're up to. And then Jesus is going around healing people, and he's not living in a palace. He's not attacking the Romans. He's going to be attacking the leaders of Israel who are fleecing the sheep. His concern is for the people of God, for their spiritual warfare, or their spiritual welfare. And then there's, so these, these disciples, they're now being sent out and they're given great authority, and they're saying, finally, we're going to start taking over the place. But they're not, a, they're not to go into the nations and take it over yet. This is not that kind of thing. And I want you to think about what he says in particular with, don't take your money bag. Don't start acquiring stuff. Don't take payment for what you're doing. They're not to be like the shepherds of Israel who are doing that. This is a new kind of shepherd. This is a shepherd who serves the people of God. That's what we do. The disciples are being instructed that they are servants, just like our Lord. Remember what our Lord says. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve 
and to give his life a ransom for many. This is what our Lord is demonstrating, and he's telling his, his under-shepherds, you will do the same thing I did. You're no greater than I am. You act the same way. So he's demonstrating that to the twelve. This is why they're instructed not to carry uh, all that, not to carry money and to take uh, only what they need as they minister. It's further interesting that Jesus does not give them secret words of power. This is, this is the first century. This is the world that, that you're, you've walked into this morning. When, once you open the New Testament, you're in the first century. And the world of the first century is magic and sorcery and witchcraft and secret words, uh, fancy books with uh, red and gold, uh, you know, real gold. They would write certain words in gold on the page because it had particular value. Uh, and often red letter because it was particularly uh, important to know these words. And you'd be given secret words that have this power over demons and afflictions uh, because it's like an incantation. You see this sometimes when people expect that of Jesus, and he just doesn't do it. He has this authority like the centurion. Remember, we we saw this earlier in chapter 8. The centurion says, look, you don't even have to come to my house. You just say the word, and my servant will be healed from a distance. He doesn't have to go there with an incantation. He doesn't have to do a secret sign. He doesn't have to have secret uh, medicine that he applies that only he knows. He has this authority. He is the great king with all authority, and he can do it, and he does. He just does it with a word. And so the disciples don't learn that either. They don't learn incantations. He gives them authority. Notice he just says, Jesus gave them authority to do this in his name. So there's nothing secret about this. This is the power of the gospel reaching into this world. This is an invasion. They don't understand it, but it's an invasion in the kingdom of darkness. It's aimed directly at the darkness that's binding the people of God and the world. And it will spread, even to the far-flung, unheard-of regions of the world like Corvallis, Oregon, that no one could imagine existed in the first century. Exotic Corvallis, Oregon. And here we are. Here's the effect of it. It had its effect even now. And it will have an effect in the lives of people in Corvallis, Oregon, until the Lord comes. It's the power of the Word of God, not some sort of magical sauce. And then their second perspective is the people themselves. These people expected sorcerers. They expected, because they they see it all the time, they expected to be given some sort of secret incantation that they can get a helping spirit. Now, how do I know this? You can find them. You can find writings from the ancient world, and you can read these things. They wrote them on paper, and they were discovered in trash bins. (laughs) 
I love those trash bins from the ancient world. You learn all sorts of stuff, uh, what the people really thought. And you can find these incantations on how to get a secret uh, helper spirit. Well, the problem with getting helper demons, they help themselves. And then they become demoniacs, and they take over. And they terrorize people. They don't know that. They think the demon is going to be their servant. It's just the opposite. So these people, they don't know what to expect. And with Jesus, notice the confusion of people in chapters 8 and 9. Who is this guy? Who, who does this? What's going on here? They don't know what's under, they don't understand what's going on. Brothers and sisters, they just have to read Ezekiel 34. I will be their shepherd. I, the Lord God, I will be their shepherd. And so the Lord God came in the person of the Son of God, born of the Virgin Mary, born to be one of us, and he came to shepherd his people. That's what's happening here. And he sends out the twelve by name. Notice that they're named here, not secret. Interesting, it's not some of those other people he healed that liked to blab about him. Uh, he Remember, he... He tells uh, these two blind guys, he tells them, you know, don't talk about this. You just go home. <laughs> well, they blabbed, and all the people all around hear about what happened to them. Uh, they just couldn't keep quiet. Well, Jesus didn't appoint them to do that. He's instructed his 12, because he's this is the 12 as the foundation of his church in this age. On this foundation, I will build my church. We're going to read that. Uh, and that's, that's what he's doing here. He's preparing us for this age. And so what Jesus is doing is he's giving an initial invasion into the world. It's very local at this time. You know, don't go into the, don't even go to the Samaritans. Don't go to the Gentiles yet. That's for later. For now, you just go here to the lost sheep of Israel. So the disciples are sent out, and they go and do this, but Matthew doesn't tell us this. In other Gospels, we're told that they did this and uh, had effective ministry, but Matthew just doesn't tell us that. It's assumed but what he does tell us is further about the instructions uh, that you are not to acquire gold or silver, verse 9, chapter 10, verse 9. Don't acquire gold and silver. You are not here to become rich at the expense of the people of God. Don't go to the Gentiles yet. I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel, uh, Matthew 15, and that's what we have in verse 6. Go nowhere among the Gentiles, enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This is the foundation of the church, to the Jew first and then to the Greek, who are the Gentiles. So he's founding his church upon the people of the ancient people of God of the Old Covenant. And then it will expand out from there. The tents of Shem will expand out to include even us Gentiles. Now, brothers and sisters, I want you to see the seriousness of this. The kingdom of God has drawn near. This means the new creation has drawn near. The new heavens and the new earth. 
And Jesus is unleashing the power of the age to come in this world now. And it's given to his church. We hold the keys to the kingdom here in the word of God, in his proclamation and in its sacramental presentation in sign and seal. This is what we're about. And this is no small thing. It's the power of the age to come in this world. You find it nowhere else. We are the one institution, and I don't mean this congregation only, but the church, the authentic church of Jesus Christ, the one institution in the world where this is given. And Jesus gives this authority to his church in that it is demonstrated in the 12. And notice what will happen to those who reject. Shake the dust off your feet. It will be better for Sodom and Gomorrah on the last day than for that village that rejects you now. I want you to think about that. You are a part of this work, and you live in this world. This is why we should pray earnestly for our neighbors, so that on the last day, it will be better for Corvallis or Albany or Independence or Eugene, wherever we're at, and come together today. It will be better than for Sodom and Gomorrah. That they may accept the ministry of the Word of God in this world. We pray for that end. We work for that end. But the Lord will be exalted. You have an awesome responsibility in this church, just in your prayers and your working for the furthering ministry of this church. This is what we're about. And you're a part of this. So, brothers and sisters, this is an awesome thing. You are now in the midst of the King of glory, and his kingdom is coming. Now, later on, in Luke 22, I won't bother to read it for time's sake, but in Luke 22, Jesus says, well, earlier I told you not to bring your, uh, your wallets, basically, and don't take extra food. Now you take your knapsack. Now, if you don't have a sword, you buy a sword for protection uh, because now I'm sending you in a different, in a different way. I'm sending you into the world. Uh, and so the Lord in this initial instruction to the 12 makes it clear that he wants to demonstrate that ministry of the word is not for acquiring goods in this world. James chapter 5, a really important passage for us. James tells the rich, you've laid up treasure in the last days. We live in the last days. We, we live in the day of the edge of the second coming of Christ and the entrance of the new creation. That's, that's where we live now, uh, in the kingdom of God. So in the kingdom of God, when it comes, it will be clear. So brothers and sisters, it's typical of a pastor at this place in the sermon to turn to give an exhortation. So I've, you know, we've taught on the meaning of the word of God, and I'm now going to give an exhortation. Okay? So I hope you're ready. The shepherds need to take this seriously. The shepherd needs to take this seriously. 
your elder, the person filling your pulpit needs to take this seriously. Jesus looked at the sheep and he was, he was not happy with the shepherds. And he told these shepherds how they should live, not taking advantage of their position. You may think it's, you may wonder why when we take the offering, it's placed up here. I actually asked for that to happen. It's so that you can see it. They're not placing it at my feet as if that's somehow mine. Uh, they put, they put the offerings that you give voluntarily here as a sign of offering to the Lord, and then you can see it. It's, it's yours, and there's no, no mystery here. But I don't touch it. I never touch it. And our elder doesn't touch it either, our elders. It's the deacons. They, they take care of us and others whom, who help. So there's an important reason for it. There's a principle there. I'm not here to take your money. I'm not here to lord anything over you. I'm here to serve you, and your elders are here to serve you. We take this seriously, so here's our exhortation. We take this seriously. And, and you, can, you can hold us to account for that. You vote for elders. You will vote for a pastor. We have a pastoral search committee. I'm just temporary. Uh, Lord willing, you'll have a good pastor come to serve you, uh, and you'll vote for him. And this is, this is your prerogative as members of the church. Uh, and then he will follow the same directives from the Lord. So hold your pastor and elders accountable to the word of God because we are accountable to the great shepherd. So there's your exhortation. Is a, is a promise that we take it seriously and we are merely servants of you and the Lord. That's our position in the church. Let us pray. O oh Lord our God in heaven, who can live up to such, such an exalted position to serve your people? I pray that the elders, your pastors, will do so with your blessing and care. Give us strength, O oh Lord. Give us wisdom. Give us the dedication to live according to your word, to be good examples for your people. I pray for your people here that they would uh, know the, the seriousness with which we take this, but also that our hope is in the Lord who promises, the Lord God, I will shepherd my people. We look to you, O Lord, to fulfill that. In Christ's name, amen.